Hello and welcome to Messiah's Upper Room Podcast. Each week, you'll join Messiah's Upper Room Bible Study Class led by Pastor Jim Oddy. This week, we are continuing our series over the Ten Commandments, titled Foundational Truth for a Confused World. Enjoy. All right, so Lesson 15, we're finishing up on the uh, Fifth Commandment, which is... uh, where it says thou shalt not kill, but then looking at it from the positive side, as opposed to just looking at the prohibition is as God's beloved, we're, we're loving the sacredness of life, which is in yourself and which is in your neighbor. So last week we covered some material on anger and how anger sometimes can be a force for good, as well as at times it can be a force for harm. And we talked a little bit about Are there occasions or situations where anger can produce good? In other words, where it is an appropriate response to uh, something that might be going on in a person's life. And so one of the things we did talk about is that anger is often a part of a grieving process. That when someone goes through a loss, uh, and mostly maybe a death, but it could also be a loss associated, let's say, with... uh, your ability to do something. Sometimes people who experience some form of disability will experience anger as they are working through that new reality in their lives. Uh, obviously, again, there's a, a, it is often associated with death as well. And sometimes what even occurs for people of faith is that there's an anger that is expressed toward God. Does that make sense on some level that that would happen? that people would be angry uh, at God. What, what might be a person's thought about that in terms of why they might be angry at God or angry toward God? Why did, what did I do that would uh, you allow this? To- okay, and so sometimes there is kind of this, um, this sort of math equation that people do where they look at the, the, uh, the, the, how great that loss is and figure on one, one side, well, the, the loss is over here, so there must be something equal over here on this side of the equation where either I did something wrong or I didn't do something right. And so, you know, the scales have got to get even somehow, and so it must, that must be the only, uh, the only answer. Another one might be, simply be that, uh, and you'll often hear people say this, is how could a loving God, what? allow something like this to occur. I've talked to any number of people in their 30s, for example, who, who have grappled with that question. And some of them in grappling with that question concluded that therefore God must not be a loving God. Because how in the world could a loving God allow this? Well, he allowed it. And there's no logical reason for it, if you will. There's nothing that makes sense other than the fact that maybe perhaps this God is not as loving as uh, we have purported him to be. And so sometimes people in response to or reaction to a loss like that, um, especially one that doesn't make sense to them, give up on God. They just conclude that then it must not be worth it to trust in a God like that or to love a God like that because he really isn't the loving God that we all say that he is. And that one is really hard to, uh, to minister to. 
I've not, I have not found um, an adequate answer for that, okay? What I have found is, is that if the person is willing to continue in conversation and kind of process it and work through it, that there actually is a better outcome. But the difficulty with that is that very often the person who gives up on God also gives up on the church, also gives up on any uh, opportunity for conversation. And so that is a difficult one. Okay, that's a difficult one. Sometimes I think we don't have the answer. And I don't know about you, but that's a tough one to that's a tough one to deal with. Sometimes we have to kind of let time uh, not necessarily heal things, but time has a way of giving people a little different perspective. And so sometimes people will re-engage later on in the conversation if there's a way to do that. Have any of you experienced that in terms of that? Not maybe personally, but have had other people? Yeah, Glenn? Yeah, my mom died when I was about eight years old in childhood. And not only did I uh, resent God, yeah. I resented the baby for a long time. Yeah. And it could be quite a while to yeah. over that. That's what can happen. It, it, and again, it's not... It's not sin in the sense of, of that the fact that I have anger toward God that I'm doing a bad thing. I think that in, in many ways it's just a human reaction to trying to wrap your brain around something that doesn't make any sense. And so sometimes anger then is part of that, uh, of that process. But the other side of anger is that what we know is that anger also generates a great deal of strength and power and adrenaline and all those kinds of things in your body. So if you are somebody who gets angry, what do you need to be mindful of if you're engaged with somebody else in that moment? Like, what would you need to be uh, cautious about if you get angry and you're a verbal person? And your words. <laughs> yeah, because... That's something that can't be taken back. Well, it's kind of hard. Have you ever had that experience where you feel the words coming out of your mouth and you're trying to stop them even as they're coming out of your mouth? Uh, you know, that's a kind of weird feeling, but, but it, you can repair it later, yeah. right? Yeah. You can say things like, you know, I didn't mean it or I was angry, but the problem is it's already been, the damage has already been done. So what is a good way to manage that? Keep your mouth closed. <laughs> <laughs> Would someone say that louder? I didn't quite hear that. What was that? Keep your mouth closed. Yes, you could do this. Okay, you can do that. Another thing you can do, some people say uh, pause, count to 10, all right? Uh, I would suggest count to 20, all right, all right? There's a way to do that, all right? And, and again, it's a reminder that <clears throat> when we are in that reactive, angry place, we're not in our right mind, literally. You're not in your right mind. You're not in your thinking brain. You're in your reacting brain. And in that moment, the only thought you have is how to survive, and so sometimes then the words come out in an angry way. If you physically discipline a child when you're angry, what's the, what's the danger? Yeah, if you uh, physically discipline a dog. Yeah. I mean, see, that's, that's the caution that we always have to have is that if because of what anger does, anger is a powerful emotion. But on the other side, the, the flip side is that anger in, in an angry moment, you can do powerful things that you never thought you could do. I had a friend, he's in heaven now, a long time ago, who was in the Navy 
during Vietnam, and he was on the aircraft carrier, the USS Forrestal. Do you, any of you remember the incident that occurred on the Forrestal? This would be way back in History Channel stuff. Um, there was a, uh, an airplane that landed on the aircraft carrier, and something, something occurred with one of the bombs going off on top on the flight deck of the, uh, of the aircraft carrier. And then they, because they were refueling at the same time, because they were doing recovery of airplanes and launching of airplanes, there was this massive explosion and fire on the, uh, on the flight deck. And what my friend Aaron told me about, because he was one of the mechanics that worked on the flight deck, he said that he saw little skinny guys that were just like toothpicks who were heaving 500-pound bombs over the edge of that uh, of that flight deck into the uh, into the ocean, and and what that was was that that adrenaline and testosterone and kind of all that all that power that comes from a very frightful and scary and in some sense angry situation. So you know when you think about the capacity of what a person can do when they're angry, it's just something to be mindful of. Okay. It's something to be uh, thinking about in terms of a way that you could impact somebody else, certainly for good, but there's also the potential of doing it for harm. Does somebody else have their hand up? Yeah, Glenn? I just can tell you, in your question, the way that I got over it mainly was that uh, my father, even though it was his wife and his baby, uh -huh. he and my five other siblings, uh, their behavior, mm -hmm. Brought me that brought you back. That's good. That's, that's great. They they didn't resent me for it. I was young enough that they understood sure. why I would be so hurt. Sure. But uh, and then they let they kept insisting to hold the baby, and of course I got over it real quick. Yeah, I bet you did. Yeah, holding a baby will do that, and that and that's kind of a a nice thought about the role, the healing role that we can play with each other. You know to kind of work through disappointing things that, that happen and have, that have no explanation, right? At least not one that makes any sense to us uh, this side of heaven. Okay, so, uh, so that's kind of what we covered last week. And so now we get into talking a little bit about the sacredness of life that is celebrated under the fifth commandment. And so one of the things that we like to think about with respect to life is the gift of artificial fertilization for those uh, couples who have difficulty or impossibility of, um, of uh, having children in a, in a kind of maybe more natural way, we would say. And so that's a, one, that's a wonderful option for, uh, for couples that struggle to conceive. But notice the caution there. And, and one of the things that, that happens sometimes with advances in technology is that the temptation can be, uh, can be created where all of a sudden the possibility is, is that you could have boutique children. And you think about that in terms of genetics, that what can be done with um, some of the genetically created pets that people have. So, like, what are some of the combinations now that a million years ago, nobody ever thought you could have the combination of that particular dog, but now you have a dog that has uh, these different characteristics. Do what? Labradoodle. Labradoodle, yeah. So that's a Labrador and a poodle. And a poodle. Yeah, right. The Chewini? What is a Chewini? 
a wiener dog and a, and a chihuahua. Oh, that's hilarious. I'd never even heard of that before. But you can see where if the, if the technology allows that for a, an animal, then the thought might be that maybe I could do that and, and come up with the perfect child, right? The perfect kid, the, the kid that would have the blue eyes, blonde hair, whatever is the qualifications that you would want. It almost harkens back a little bit to some of the work that, uh, that the Nazis were doing in uh, World War II and the whole Aryan race thing. And you can see where you think, well, how in the world could it get to that? But, but again, the, the, uh, the evil intent or, or the, or the uh, well, just the evil intent that often is associated with and then used with advances in technology. So it's just, again, somewhere in there has to be the caution in terms of how that uh, would be. Okay, second one is birth control. In our Lutheran world, we have no opposition to, uh, to birth control. But for those of you that were raised in Roman Catholic um, world, there very much is an opposition to, to uh, birth control. So from our perspective, birth control is not killing life. It is preventing it. And, but from a Catholic perspective, the preventing is the same as, uh, as taking life. The exception would be for those kinds of birth control uh, mechanisms that would be kind of the morning after sort of idea where maybe perhaps conception has occurred, but then the taking of that life, we would say is uh, we're, that the Bible is opposed to that. Okay. Any thoughts about that? Okay. All right. Thirdly, grieving deaths of all people, especially infants and, and children. So again, sometimes in the process of giving birth or in the process prior to giving birth, a miscarriage will occur or a stillbirth will occur. And, you know, there's a lot of sensitivity in the way that Lutherans pastorally approach that. And so even in our uh, pastoral guidance and training, uh, we, there is a, uh, a, a liturgy for that in terms of having a service for that little one who did not reach full term, but was still alive, was still a precious life. And so our belief is, is that that little life is submitted to the mercies of God. And we look forward to whenever it is that we would see that little one uh, in heaven. But we're also supportive of different agencies and groups in the community that can provide a wonderful service to, uh, to that. So how many of you are familiar with Compassionate Friends? Have you heard of that before? Compassionate Friends is a support network that is there for those who lose or, or suffer the death of a little child. So if you ever know somebody who has gone through that or if someone in your family has gone through that, you can connect them with uh, compassionate friends. And, the, and there is a chapter here in the Metroplex, and it's a wonderful, wonderful ministry. And then <clears throat> the warm place is kind of the opposite, and that is for children who have lost a parent. So if there is uh, a child in your life or someone you know who's struggling with uh, losing a parent, then the warm place is a place for that. And again, there's also a, a local, uh, I say Metroplex local group for that. Okay. And are there any other uh, ministries that you all are aware of that maybe um, I'm not in terms of that? Okay. Very good. All right. And then fourthly, the sacredness of life is, is uh, celebrated by improving the quality of life for those that are ill, lonely, impoverished, 
or imprisoned among us. And so these are uh, the ones that I listed here. Certainly that's not an exhaustive list, but these are some of the ones that we do here. Okay. That we provide for people, uh, shut in ministry. Uh, the latest list now of folks in our church that are on the official shut in list is 25. I think we now have 25. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. When I first came to Messiah, almost 19 years ago now, we had six. We had six shut-ins. And so one of the kind of interesting aspects of this, we talk about this all the time uh, in our pastor meetings, is um, our shut-ins live forever. (laughs) Everybody else is going to heaven, but our shut-ins live forever. I mean, it's kind of an, I mean, obviously not forever, but it is very interesting. And you wonder sometimes what the... uh, how related quality of care is to somebody in terms of the longev- uh, longevity of life. And, 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 the, and these are a lot of folks who, who uh, some of them are living uh, in assisted living. Some are living in memory cares. I mean, there's all different kinds of places. If you are living in the home with a loved one taking care of them, all those kinds of things, there's all different ways that, uh, that this happens. But that's one of the things that we notice. And so one of the things that we do here is that once a month, at least once a month, sometimes it, uh, it, we get stretched a little bit and it might be every six weeks. But the, but the intent is, there, is once a month we take communion to them. And that's mostly something that we as pastors do. Lately, we've been taking Triton to, uh, to some of our shut-ins. And I finally had somebody the other day say, I'm so glad you're here, Pastor, but where's Triton? Okay. <laughs> So I thought the shift has finally occurred now. Yes, yes, yes. But, but here I have communion. Triton doesn't have communion. What about that? You know, but, uh, but anyway, we, uh, that's one of the cool things now that we're able to do with, uh, with, uh, with our uh, comfort dog. Uh, we do hospital visitation, a card ministry. How many of you have ever received a card from any of our card ministry people? Oh, some of you have. Isn't that awesome? People, we have this mysterious group of people in our church and no one quite knows who it is. We have a few suspects, but, but nobody knows the, the breadth of the whole group of people who some, of them, some people make the cards, like Ann Streeter makes cards, and then some people like to just like get them and send them. And so all the shut-ins get cards from uh, these folks on their birthday and Christmas and different times. And then as we're looking around here today, some of you have received cards. I know I have too. And it's <clears throat> kind of the cool thing for me is when I get to go make a call on somebody, uh, like a shut-in, and the first thing they want to do is tell me about oh, look at all the cards I got. And then they're asking me who sent them. And I'm, I have this dumb look on my face because I don't, I don't know who that is. It's a, an anonymous ministry, but it's really a wonderful thing. And uh, for those of you that do that or would like to do that, it is, it is a really great thing. Um, Meals at Heal is a ministry of food. That should be no surprise in the Lutheran church, right? But what happens is we have a group of people who cook meals or provide meals for people when they first get out of the hospital. 
So when somebody is going to be discharged from the hospital or from a rehab, something like that, and their spouse has been the one providing the, you know, pizza all along, sometimes people get tired of pizza. And so we have some great cooks in the church and they'll, they'll provide a, you know, three day sort of supply of food or something like that. So that's a really wonderful thing. Triton, I don't think we have to say anything about that because that's a real awesome thing. We're not currently doing jail ministry in an organized way, but we have some folks in the church who that is their deal and they will go and visit people in the jail. If we have a member in the jail, then we will go, the pastors will go. But uh, this is something that is beyond the membership of the church and extends out into, I think the county jail is where that takes place. And then social assistance, we have social assistance, uh, benevolences kind of thing for different people who have different needs. And then we also support adoptive services, thinking again of our anti-abortion position that we take. Well, then that also extends to children who uh, need fostering and that sort of thing. We do support that as well. So it's just, again, is when you think in terms of the opportunities that are out there for us to be involved in celebrating the sacredness of life. See, it isn't just what we say in sermons. It isn't just the idea that uh, we say, oh yeah, yeah, that's what we believe, or we throw money at it. These are things that uh, people actually do. And when you do that stuff, what it does is it gives a meat to the idea that this is not just simply something in theory that we believe, but, but uh, this is something that is really uh, a significant part. The, the, the ultimate aim is to do what? Is to be a neighbor, all right? Be a neighbor. And so the, the uh, parable that we go back to in the scriptures, that's probably the best example of that is in Luke 10, 25 to 37. So <clears throat> would someone be willing to read that out loud? Yes, Richard, would someone be willing to read that out loud? Thank you. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up and says, Jesus, teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring an oil and on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, and he gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. (laughs) Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Okay, thank you. What's wrong with asking the question, who is my neighbor? Where's the flaw in asking that question? 
And it sort of implies, doesn't it, that there are some people that would in fact be my neighbor and some people that would in fact not be my neighbor. It sort of sets that, it sort of sets that, uh, that sort of list up where you have a two-column list and you say, well, these are the people that would qualify as being my neighbor, and then these are the people who would be disqualified from being my neighbor, right? So let's get kind of honest here a little bit. What might be on the list of the qualifications of someone who was not my neighbor? And then therefore, in our thinking, we wouldn't have to treat them as a neighbor because they aren't a neighbor. What might be something on the list? How about one of those people you're angry with? Do what? How about one of those people you're angry with? Oh, yeah. Especially if they deserve it, right? Yeah. If there's something that they did that was not neighborly. Okay? So uh, we have this wonderful neighbor across the street from us who's got a huge oak tree in his front yard. <laughs> So I was out raking leaves the other day of the leaves of my own oak uh, oak, uh, trees in my yard. And I was looking across the street at how many leaves had not yet fallen off of his tree that were all brown and just primed to fall off of that tree. And I was praying to the Lord that the wind would continue to blow from the north so that when those leaves fell, they would fall on his yard and that they would not fall on my yard. And so I'll let you know how that's going, okay? All right. So it's a little bit of, we often think of somebody who would be worthy, I suppose, of being a neighbor or treated like a neighbor on the basis of whether that person is being a good neighbor or not. I have yet to have any of my neighbors offer to rake my leaves when it's clear that the leaves that fell were not from my tree, all right? But uh, that's how that works sometimes, doesn't it, for us, is that we sort of think, even Stephen, if you treat me neighborly, well, then I'm going to treat you neighborly. Okay, so angry at somebody is oftentimes one of those things. Now, notice what Jesus does in his encounter with the expert in the law, because what Jesus Because what Jesus does is he shifts the emphasis from the guy's question, which was, and who is my neighbor? And he shifts it from who is my neighbor to what? Who was being a neighbor? And so then the guy's forced to answer the question, who who was it that was being a neighbor to the guy that got beaten up and left on the highway for dead? And the answer is, it was the guy who needed mercy. So the question that we kind of want to ask of ourselves is who it, who is it in your life or who is it even in your thinking? And maybe that's a, that's a more profound way to think about it because a lot of us have different people in our lives. And if we like the person, if we have a relationship with the person, if we have some obligation toward the person, you know, we might be gritting our teeth, but we might say, well, okay, I'll be a neighbor. neighbor. <laughs> you know, again, you know, it's kind of that stuff, but we do it, right? You do it for your family. You do it for your friends. You do it for your church uh, family. You do it for a lot of different people. But what about in your thoughts about people, which kind of would take you to perhaps a more private place 
where we might reserve a little bit more judgmentalness and that sort of thing that we would never admit in a million years that we, that we were, right? Who are those people in your thoughts that are in need of mercy? And so there might be some thoughts here about some of who those people might be. Again, could be somebody who's not neighborly, right? Let's his dog do your, his thing in your yard, right? What about somebody that's undocumented? See, it, that person would be in need of mercy. But do I go to the merciful place in my mind as I consider that person? Or me, maybe even as I see that person who's on the side of the road with six others who are hoping that somebody will uh, give them a day labor job, something like that, right? People that ignore complaints that you might have about him. Okay, i.e. their leaves are blowing in your yard, right? How about somebody who acts in a foolish manner, gets caught, and then is suffering the consequences that they deserve to get, right? Do you think in terms of mercy for that person? Okay, and then obviously the annoyance or anger. What about somebody whose religion is one that's not simply contrary to yours, but one who may even on some level represents a threat to you. And we think of Islam as an example, but that wouldn't be the only one. See, what Jesus is getting at here for us is that very often unmerciful thoughts that we have will lead to unmerciful attitudes. And then the consequence of that is unmerciful action. And Jesus is really, he's really, I think, taking us to a deeper place to think in terms of when God looks at us, he says, here's someone who needs my mercy. And the challenge is to take that same viewpoint that God has toward us and allow it to, to influence us in such a way that we begin to look at that toward each other. When you look at the Samaritan in the story, right? What was the risk he was taking. And see, that's the thing about that's hard about mercy is there's risk involved. So what was the, what were some of the risks that the Samaritan was, was, uh, was involving himself in that? So that was number one is that the, the uh, Samaritans hated the Jews and the Jews hated the people. I mean, there was, it was, it was no love lost between them and they both were culpable. So it wasn't like only the Jews hated the Samaritans. It was the other way around. So if word got out, in the Samaritan community that this Samaritan had helped this Jewish guy, what possibly would have happened? He, uh, he would have been ostracized in some way, could have uh, hurt his business. You know, if you're going to do, oh, you're going to consort with them. We're not doing business with you. There was any number of ways that, that, that he risked that. Okay. In terms of, uh, in, in terms of that, could he also have gotten ripped off? Because what is it that he did? He went to the, took the guy to the inn and he said, here's the money to, to care for the guy, right? And uh, if there's more that I'm owed next time I'm in town, I'll stop by and I'll, uh, I'll settle the uh, debt with you. What was the risk? And he would increase the payment. So that the, uh, yeah, the, all of a sudden we have price gouging, you know, that's never been heard of before, right? Uh, in, the, in, that, uh, in that inn, but then also, could that guy who got uh, hurt, could he have milked that 
for way longer than actually he actually needed, right? And notice the Samaritan doesn't, it doesn't occur to him. Or if it does, he, he allows mercy to be the thing that, that governs that and not maybe in some sense uh, rational thinking or common sense, okay? Is mercy related to justice, do you think? You know, justice is an interesting word, and probably it's something that would be worth pursuing in a study for us to do sometime. I was listening to the radio yesterday. We were talking about the top, the top 10 words that people Googled this year. Now, that's kind of interesting that somebody's keeping track of that, right? I mean, isn't that kind of interesting? But the word justice was the top word. Uh, uh, in terms of nationally on, on Google for a lot of different reasons. I mean, the Supreme Court stuff was going on, but also interest in justice for in terms of our immigration policies, in terms of housing, in terms of racial inequity, all those kinds of things are on people's minds today in terms of justice. And the question that I'm asking here is, is mercy related to justice? And maybe that the answer to that is it depends on which side you are. If you're the one not receiving justice, you're going to say, yeah, it is. And if you're uh, not the one who's receiving, ju- uh, I mean, you're, you are receiving justice, then maybe you wouldn't. So a couple, a couple thoughts here. Yeah, Bob. In Micah 6, 8, God tells old man what to do. To act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with the Lord. Yeah, one of the major complaints that God had in the Old Testament about the the organized church was that they were taking bribes. They weren't uh, supporting uh, the needs of poor people, widows, orphans, that kind of thing. And they were uh, uh, showing favoritism. And so so one of the things we we see around and around again in terms of God saying, I don't show favoritism, you know, that that was the true test of uh, of, of the religion of the day was, did it express itself in a fair way to all people or did it only pick and choose among people? Yeah, uh, Richard. I was going to say, I think justice guides us in what are the right actions and mercy is God's protection of us or help for us because we have a hard time doing the, the justice side. Yeah. We, we frequently make mistakes. Yeah, kind of the classic definition of the word mercy is that God doesn't give us what we deserve. Does that make sense? Because what do you deserve? See, we all say, oh, I look at my good life and I say, boy, I deserve this and I deserve that and kind of have this little entitled attitude for it, toward it. But God looks at it way differently and he says, okay, when was the last time you were perfect? Well, that kind of kills that right there, doesn't it? Right. And so when you think in terms of what we deserve from God, we deserve his wrath and punishment. That's what we deserve. But when he expresses mercy toward us, he's not giving us what we do deserve. And that's the difference between with, with grace, grace. The definition is God gives us right. The gift of his love that we don't deserve. So they, those two things go together. Kathy, you had your hand up too. Well, I, I, I thought a lot about this over the, the last several years, but how many, you know, we know at times we should be getting justice. And you, what do you, you know, you 
you don't get a ticket or whatever, right. and you think you should say, you know, I have got mercy in this case. Yeah. I think we need to be grateful. But I think a lot of times you see people, they're insisting on justice for other people, mm -hmm. but they want mercy for themselves. Yeah. And yeah. we have to be mindful of that because we've all, I mean, I yeah. imagine we've all got mercy when we know darn good and well we should have gotten it. I know. I know. Yeah, and there is a little self-righteousness in there as well when we get the mercy that we didn't deserve and somebody else gets the punishment that they did deserve. So, you know, I, I'm zooming on the freeway and, and I don't get stopped. And then the guy behind me does. Oh, that's a sweet moment, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. You know, but I'm not thinking in that moment of, oh, I got mercy. I'm kind of thinking in that moment, I got away with something, you know, I mean, that's kind of what it feels like. So I, so I love the idea of what you said in terms of being mindful about it is to actually keep it on the radar more often and, and maybe to some degree, add it to your gratitude list because the more mindful we are or reminding ourselves and each other of that I was a recipient of mercy. See, that puts it into the, that puts it into the vocabulary that puts it in your mind in terms of, wow, there really was mercy there. I didn't deserve it, but I got it. And that's a sweet moment when that happens. I think okay. we need to be not so worried about other people getting justice. I think that gets us into trouble because then we forget about the mercies we've received. Or maybe at least if we're going to be focused on, on justice, then we need to make sure that we put mercy in there as well so that they're not mutually exclusive. Okay. So anyway, we can kind of talk a little bit more about that at some point. I think that would be a, a real thought provoking uh, uh, conversation to have. Okay. Well, we're going to stop here and then next, uh, next time we'll pick up with the sixth commandment. Okay. Talk about marriage and divorce and remarriage and gay marriage and kind of all the stuff that is, is uh, very uh, hot in, uh, in the world today. Okay. Sound good. Well, I guess, uh, am I supposed to take all this home then, all this, uh, all these things? I hope not. Um, but thank you all again for everything that you, uh, all, the, all the goodies you made. Let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for, again, the way that your word speaks to us. And we thank you for the opportunities that we have to put that word to use in our lives. Especially as we, we think today about uh, uh, Christmas and the gift of your mercy that you gave to us in your son, Jesus. We pray that uh, we would be mindful of that, Lord, that uh, the gift of Jesus is really the uh, physical and personal expression of your mercy to the world and to each of us. So help us be mindful of that. Help us be grateful for that, to sort of connect the dots on that. And then uh, uh, challenge us, Lord, to, to uh, find ways to be merciful with ourselves and with each other as we become the living expression of the gift of mercy you've given to us. Watch over us, Lord, until we're together uh, again. Keep us safe and, and on the road and wherever it is that we might be as we celebrate with our families and our friends the joy of Christmas. Uh, watch over us until we're together again, and we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Messiah's Upper Room Podcast. If you want to join the discussion, please send us an email with your question or comment to messiahlutheranpodcast at gmail.com, and we'll be happy to read it during an upcoming class. 
You can also go to our website at www.messiahlutheranpodcast.com where you can find links to all the previous episodes and copies of our class notes in case you want to follow along with each episode. You can also find out where to subscribe to the podcast at messiahlutheranpodcast.com slash subscribe for links on how you can find us on iTunes, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, TuneIn, or any other podcast catcher of your choice. If you feel like we have given you any value during this podcast, please consider going to our podcast page in iTunes and leaving a rating or a review. Not only will that provide us with valuable feedback that we can use to improve the podcast for you, but it will help this podcast to climb the iTunes rankings and help us spread God's message to anyone willing to listen. Once again, thank you so much for listening to this episode, and until next time, may God bless you throughout your week. Bye.